Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I watched a wonderful program on BBC television recently. It was a vivid depiction of the famous historic battle of Waterloo. I found it fascinating. I love historical drama and movies based on real life events and they intrigued me. For example, I saw the movie Apollo 13, thought it was tremendous. I even remember the event when it happened and how the world held its breath while those brave astronauts came within moments of giving their lives in that now infamous capsule named Apollo 13. But back to the Battle of Waterloo. The year was 1815. The French Emperor Napoleon was determined to, to defeat those who had aligned themselves against him when he had returned from his exile on the island of Elba. The alliance regarded him as a renegade, but he had amassed thousands of French troops to fight before the opposition could gather their troops against him. From all accounts, Napoleon could gather troops and was a brilliant military strategist who had previously redrawn the map of Europe by his many conquests and had personally won more battles than many of the famous leaders in the past, such as Alexander the Great, Caesar, and so on, all combined. But he now faced the British commander called the Duke of Wellington and a Prussian field marshal named von Blücher, both of whom together had set up an alliance known as the Seventh Coalition, all of them collectively determined to prevent Napoleon from coming to such powerful position again in Europe. At a place called Waterloo, in a country now known as Belgium, the opposing forces met, Napoleon on the one side, the alliance on the other. The occasion of the battle and the manner of which it was fought make for interesting reading. Suffice it to say here that Napoleon made a couple of mistakes that gave an advantage to this alliance. Napoleon was soon overcome and the coalition troops chased the French soldiers all the way back to France where they were completely defeated. The coalition troops then restored King Louis XVIII to the French throne, forcing Napoleon to abdicate, after which he surrendered to the British who then banished Napoleon to an island called St. Helena, where he was in complete isolation and where he died a few years later in 1821. Such was the overwhelming victory and so significant was that famous battle that has come to describe many diverse occasions when something of value is lost or where one fails to achieve an important objective. I've used it, you probably have also, when you say that so-and-so had their Waterloo in a particular situation. I'm reminded too that there was a day when the enemy of our souls also met his Waterloo in the most significant battle, you know what I mean, at Calvary, and with the Lord's resurrection, Satan was defeated for all time. 
Christ rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Here's our first song call. Yeah. 
the Gaithers sing a song that I love because it speaks so eloquently to the triumph of Jesus on the cross, the defeat of sin and the devil. Satan's Waterloo in a manner of speaking. Some of the words go like this, and set to appropriate and moving musical accompaniment, it is a very uplifting song, even the lyrics. Listen. There's a line that is drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging to gain a man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil, all the demons, all the devils of hell. On the other, the angels of glory, and they meet on Golgotha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict, and the sun refuses to shine. For there hangs God's sun in the balance, and then, through the darkness, he cries, It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Yet in my heart the battle was still raging. Not all prisoners of war had come home. These were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Oh, but then I heard the king of the ages had fought all the battles for me, and that victory was mine for the claiming, and now, praise his name, I am free. It is finished, and Jesus is Lord. Aren't you glad that Jesus fought all the battles for us, and now we are free from the bondage of sin because Satan faced his Waterloo at Calvary?
Now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second message on the theme, The Human Difference and Its Impact in the Christians Dealing with the Moral Dilemmas of Our Day. My thesis for this series is that most, if not all, of the social and moral issues that challenge us today are actually asking one underlining question. And that question is, what is man? Or to make it more personal, who am I as a human being? Now, as stated last time, I believe the Bible answer to this question is the foundational truth that would provide the proper practical response by Christians to most of the social and even economical challenges that currently face us in one way or another. And by the way, I'm focusing on Christians because it is Christians who are supposed to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. People who do not believe that will not accept what is being said here because it is based on the Bible as the authority for the Christian's faith and practice. Now, as indicated last time, we are dealing with world views because our view of human nature depends upon our worldview. For now, I'll define a worldview simply as the basic reason or reasons why we think what we think and do what we do. Let me repeat that. A worldview is the basic reasons why we think what we think and do what we do. The worldview that has been historically and traditionally believed and lived out here in the Bahamas is what is called the theistic worldview, meaning that it was based on the Judeo-Christian scriptures we call the Holy Bible. This view states, first, that man was created by a personal God in his image. That's where we get the Imago Dei. Therefore, because man is made in the image of God, man is a physical, spiritual being with inherent worth and dignity. Dignity being defined here as the quality of being worthy of esteem or honor, or in other words, our worthiness. It refers to a proper pride or self-respect that is an important component of human dignity. Now again, I define dignity as that which is objectively ours by our nature. It's who we are. It is what we are. And it is subjectively revealed in the way we act, both towards ourselves and others. In other words, our dignity, our respect for ourselves, is demonstrated in how we show respect for others. In other words, it is revealed in the way we think about ourselves and also what we think and how we act toward others. Now, if you were to ask, what is that something about us that warrants our being treated with dignity and calls for us to act dignified toward others, the Christian's answer according to their theistic worldview would be that that something is the Imago Dei, the image of God, which is ours by virtue of our original divine creation. And let me underline here, it is only the Christian's Bible who teaches this. The dignity of man based on the image of God, the Imago Deo, is unique to Christianity. As someone has stated, and I quote, 
to be valued for oneself as a person is humanizing because it ennobles us. But to be valued only as a hand or a means or a tool or a cog in a wheel or a convenience to someone else is dehumanizing and it depresses. Secular humanism, which by the way is another worldview that we will be discussing shortly and which is a dominant one in the Bahamas right now, Secular humanism, in contrast to the theistic worldview, though claiming vast wisdom and life-enhancing skills, actually diminishes the individual who is left in old age without dignity because his or her social usefulness is finished and without hope because there's nothing now to look forward to. End of quote. Second, the theistic worldview maintains that man was created for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God by showing what God is like, especially morally. Man is therefore a person of significance, not a tool to be used by the state for utilitarian purposes or for anyone else for that matter, or purely for the good of the state. Man's purpose here is to show what God is like to glorify him. Third, man has infinite worth to his creator. The worth of a human being is therefore absolute and inherent. It never diminishes. It never is lost by a human being as long as he's human. We do not gradually become human or progress toward humanness as Mrs. Hillary Clinton stated to be her position when responding to a question during a candidacy for presence in the United States some years ago, and is held by many as well today right here in the Bahamas. The theistic worldview, on the other hand, maintains that we are conceived as a human being, and as such, we are a human being of significance and worth. We must therefore regard and treat one another accordingly. Here's how James, the human half-brother of Jesus, addresses truth in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Quote, No human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. End of quote. The practical application is that when we curse one another, we are actually cursing God because we are made in the image of God. The Imago Dei has practical implications as to how we treat another person. Just think about it. If all of those who are committing so much violence in our community today. We only have this truth embedded within their souls that we are in the, made in the image of God and each of us has value and worth before him. Do you think we will treat one another the way we are? Definitely not. But fourth, although man is a fellow creature of God's creation, he is qualitatively different from all living creatures. In other words, there is a human difference. My friends, this is something you need to take a hold of as we focus on 
how we are treating our ecosystem in the Bahamas today. You will see where in the future, most likely where the government will be willing to tear down the homes of individuals just to save the habitat of a bird or a fish or would not. The reason is because they do not see the human difference. Same thing is coming on with animal rights, where we are being exhorted to treat animals the same way we treat human beings. They do not see a human difference at all. This, I say, is what is ruining the Bahamas. Our spiritual foundations are being removed, and we must resist that by emphasizing the importance of being made in the image of God. So, this long-held worldview then, what we call the theistic worldview, is the basis for Western civilization. But it is now being challenged by contrasting worldviews even in our present Bahamian society as well as worldwide. And our young people are and will have to continue to confront this challenge in the classroom and in life in general and is as well as on a daily basis in our nation. Now, one worldview that is widely held but sometimes not readily discerned as such is the pantheistic worldview. This is the worldview of much of the Eastern world, but since the 1960s has been invading the West, including the Bahamas, in very subtle ways, such as, for instance, in the New Age movement, and now, from a religious point of view, in what is now called the Emerging Church movement. Thirdly, this pantheistic worldview does not emphasize distinctions in life. It only emphasizes unity. They teach that God is everyone and everything. Thirdly, it plays down the physical, claiming that it is simply an illusion. Fourthly, it says that we must not seek to find our personal identity, but rather to lose or absorb it in a universal or cosmic oneness or consciousness. Dissolution of personality, in other words, is the ultimate end for all of us. We are simply a part of everything. We have no individual worth or value. This was vividly demonstrated a few years ago when a prominent movie actor came to attend a funeral of one of our leading public figures, who was a personal friend of the actor. During his tribute to his friend, this famous actor said something to the effect that he, his friend was not really dead, but rather he was now a part of the vast universe and is probably shining as one of the stars we now see in the sky. In other words, he said, he was now a part of the cosmic oneness of consciousness and his personality and individuality was absorbed or dissolved into that cosmic oneness. Surprisingly, I did not read or hear of any dislike or criticism of that statement by Christians or even by the head of the magnificent religious edifice in which it was made. Coming from such a well-known and well-liked personality and said with such eloquence and compassion, it was in fact readily accepted as being true. My friends, this scenario is being subtly repeated on an ongoing basis in our society. The foundations, I say, of our Judeo-Christian heritage 
are being systematically removed by those who call themselves progressives, without even a whimper from our Christian community. This series of messages is my feeble attempt to try to correct this. But unfortunately, we cannot do so at this time, so we'll have to continue next time, Lord willing. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There to stay. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. And our toiling will be Could happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again